and welcome to this, the very sixth episode of Here's the Thing, 8-Minute Movies. I did it all in one go. I did, I'm so proud of me. Well done. I'm so proud. It's definitely always been called that. We'll go back and fix the other episodes. We won't. We won't fix it. No. We're not, we're not going to, no. I'm very proud of you. However, this um, this reaction that you've made does kind of lessen the impact. Like You, uh, you could have just been cool. You, you think um, you think I should just play it down next time? Yeah, just um, just nice and cool, like you had it down from the start. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll take your notes on board for next time. Mm. If there is a next time, there are there are eight more episodes. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, very accurately how many more? Of yes, these there it's, are. it's weird knowing exactly how many there are, except that we might do the last two as one long episode because how much can you talk about the credits? You know what I mean. Um, true anyway um hello my name is kieran and my name is peter and we both have names which means we're not the thing mm. is that or... I, I don't think that's how no, that, that works actually yeah it doesn't sound right to me either now that i think about it out loud this is the part of the podcast where i ask you how you are doing how are you doing Oh, doing. I'm doing all right. I've been um, I've been playing some video games. I've been uh, I've been pirating on on the high high seas. Mm, sea of Thieves. I know you've yeah. been playing that video game because you were playing it with me. I, I was playing <laughs> it with you. Yes. So, um, <laughs> how, how are you enjoying that experience? Uh, it's very good. Aside from the fact that the sea makes me motion sick. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> which, that was in a game about being on the sea. I don't know. Knowing how motion sick you get at the slightest thing, I <laughs> I was worried for a while about you attempting this high seas game. <laughs> um, it's all right if I'm on if I'm captaining it for reasons that aren't clear even to me. If I'm just on the boat, I feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing otherwise, Kieran? Oh, uh, you know, absolutely fine. Asterisk. <laughs> yeah, I get it. All right. <laughs> um. Uh. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about the concept of the podcast. I think it's your turn. It is. So, Kieran is a a thing fanatic. I think it's fair to say you <laughs> uh, you know a lot about the thing. You have um, been enjoying the thing from a worryingly young age. Um, I've got a the thing duvet cover. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't. But if they existed, I would. <laughs> I mean, I actually just accepted that without question, um, <laughs> not even expecting it to be a joke. Um, I hang on, on the hang on. I'm going to go on Etsy and see if I can get one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, on the other hand, uh, I have seen the thing a few times, um, and that is mostly Kieran's fault that I have seen the thing a few times. Um, but I am not really as into the film. I am uh, I, I'm less familiar with it, and it's not really my genre of film as well. So um, I paid maybe less close attention to it. We have decided that it might be fun to break up the film into eight-minute chunks, and in eight, each eight-minute chunk... Uh, take notes and then discuss in detail the happenings of that eight minutes. Also during that discussion, uh, uh, we have a bell, which we are using to call each other out whenever we say 
the thing and we're not talking about the monster the thing and we're not talking about the film the thing and we're not talking about the rules of this game that i just described i know we're recording a podcast and everything but i i really like that the thing do cover i'm definitely picking that one up the second we stop talking about this uh it's Got got a webcam and just showed me, and it is indeed very stylish. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I quite uh, like. I like that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, if uh, I, if I was that much into the film, I would be getting one myself. Um, <laughs> That's your Christmas present sorted. <laughs> I think that just about covers the explanation, doesn't it? Yes, yes, excellent work, Peter. Thank you very much. Now it's time for the third section of the podcast. You can't tell I'm reading these off a checklist, can you? Uh, it's, it's very clear. <laughs> Um, this section ha- is and has always been called Let's Not Talk About The Thing, a section of the podcast wherein we talk about something tangentially related to the thing while not actually being the movie itself. What are we talking about this week, Kieran? I am going to talk to you about the poster design. Ah, that's good, because I've always been a little bit curious about this poster design, because it's, um, if you're familiar with the, the poster, it it's just someone who looks like they're in a, um, a kind of snow, uh, uh, Arctic kind of snow gear, um, and uh, just kind of a bright light shining out of the face hole of it, and in a manner that really seems to have nothing to do with the film as a whole. So I am assuming now, perhaps wrongly, that you have some sort of story about how this poster design emerged. I do. Initial pre-production work for the poster of the thing was quite different from the version that we ended up with. Uh, They used an image of a set of black and white interlocking jaws fading in uh, in the sky above an, an Antarctic base, uh, mm. which was produced by the advertising art director Stephen Frankfurt, who also came up with the title Man is the Warmest Place to Hide, which is a really good tagline. I like that one. Unfortunately, Poltergeist, which was being released around the same time, was also using black and white imagery on their posters, so the studio didn't want them to carry on with that in case there was some confusion between the two things. Same tagline as well, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> it sort of works. Yeah, I can see that, actually. Uh, um, uh, the poster they ended up with was, as you describe, a Parker with beams of light boiling out instead of a face. And it was painted by Drew Struzan, an American illustrator who, at this point, has done more than 150 movie posters, including Blade Runner and Indiana Jones. You like Indiana Jones, don't you? Yeah, I know what those posters look like. Yeah, I recognize that style. Yeah. Um... The studio gave him no guidance on what the film was like. He hadn't seen it, read the script, or seen any pre-production photographs. They just told him to think about the 1950s movie The Thing from Another World. Uh, He conceived, painted it, and delivered it to the studio within 24 hours. Um, When they went to photograph it, they put it under a pane of glass to take a photo, and the paint stuck because it was still wet. The studio executive for Universal, Sid Scheinberg, changed the tagline to the ultimate in alien terror. Can you think about why they might have done that? Uh, 
I'll give you a clue. It's the word alien. Ah, right. Okay. They were trying to. Um, they were trying to get kind of the alien appeal in there. Absolutely. Yeah. Remember, this is just four years after Alien has been released. Three years. <laughs> but before you said that, I was going to say, did they maybe think that man is the warmest place to hide was a bit sexy? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, it is. <laughs> so the movies kind of run with both taglines, depending. I mean, like like most of the posters at the time went with um, the ultimate in alien terror. But like mm-hmm. since then, they've gone back to man is the warmest place to hide because it's it's a better one. I think uh, it's certainly not just trying to ca- you know capitalize on the success of another movie that came out around the same time. <laughs> How do you think John Carpenter felt about the poster? I mean, given that. I've always really liked it. I'm going to assume he hated it. Good uh, good guess. He absolutely despised the poster. Uh, he saw it as the final nail in the coffin for the film. Um, it was presented to him at the point where the movie was over budget, had been shown in previews, and people hated it. And the studio were like, this is your poster. You don't really have any choice. Hmm. Um, his opinion was that they put so much effort into the film in moving away from the movie trope of you know, of horror films of it being a man in a suit. Yes. And then the poster they presented was a man in a suit. Uh, at the time he said they should have just painted a bloody knife in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, opinions have changed. It's considered iconic and instantly recognizable. And indeed empire magazine lists it as the 43rd best film poster ever. Huh. Yeah, no, I I really like it. I never really knew the story behind it, uh, and I don't really. I, I've always wondered. Okay, what what is it trying to say? And uh, and I guess the answer is nothing at all, really, because <laughs> the person who drew the poster d- d- didn't know what was in the film um, <laughs> and had a very slight idea of what it was about, but not not as much as you'd notice. Yeah, I just kind of like that it's just another thing about the film that... Uh, I'm just going to do it myself. Um, the, 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 oh, hang on. You can't you can't say things when I'm, when I'm distracted. <laughs> it's just another element of the film that uh, is in some way uh, m- mysterious or... Uh, possibly misleading uh, about what is going on i think that if they had done a poster that was a bit more on the nose about mm. the monster or, or the nature of things uh then uh it wouldn't have been as effective because well i mean the poster that came up with is very compelling i mean it is mm-hmm. you know you see it and you're immediately you know you, the questions arise like yeah. What what is this? Why is that man glowing? What is this about? Yeah. Uh but the other poster, the original production poster is also very interesting as well. I mean, um you can look it up online by googling uh blood smoke um because that's the sort of title they were using for it. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's an interesting piece. I I like it as well, but I think I think I think they they went with the right one in the end. And they didn't really have any choice, so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now it is time for the fourth section of the podcast. Peter, what's another word for section? Uh, part. Part. Um, the fourth part of the podcast, uh, wherein I answer your questions from last time. Hang on, how about segment? Um, I, I think segment is better than part, mm. but I've already said part. Mm. The next one can be a segment. Okay. 
I'm going to answer your questions from last time. Woo, insert jingle here. We don't hmm. we don't have a jingle for this one. Did I have um, any? Yes, you did. You <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure it really counts as a question, but I wanted to check. It's an unresolved uh, uh, comment. Yeah. Um is Clark ever seen without his hat? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. And you know what? I was like I was like, yes, of course he is. Of course he is. And I scrolled through the entire film, the whole fucking film from start to finish. <laughs> uh-huh. And yeah, he does. He is seen without his hat. But it's only after he dies. Spoilers. So what 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 information can we draw from that? Um um it's probably nothing more profound than the fact that he likes wearing a hat, is it? I, I think we can assume that the hat was what was keeping him alive. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, right. quite clearly. Right. Uh, what's what's the name for that sort of reasoning? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aside definitely... from bad. <laughs> There's definitely some sort of Latin term. Um... <laughs> oh, dear. Um yeah, I even che- I even thought in the scenes where he's outdoors, maybe he's not wearing the hat because he's got like a a sort of woolly hat on. Mm. Us, but he's wearing two hats. That's how much he likes that hat, or needs that hat to live. <laughs> uh, um, yes, that was the only question we had <laughs> from <Okay>. last time. <laughs> Does Clark take his hat off? Um, no, actually, he never do- he never takes his hat off. It's removed for him mm-hmm. by a bullet. Um, Oh, that's because right. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, forget it again. That's all right. <laughs> we're, you know, at the rate we're recording this, it'll be a month before we reach that point. <laughs> You'll have forgotten. All right. Um, now it's time for the main meat of the podcast, TM. Oh, it's going back to podcast meat. The section, section, no, it's not a section, it's a segment. segment. It's a segment. I'm sorry, I punished myself. The segment that we call Let's Talk About the Thing. So, um, I am going to just recap your answers from last time. Of course, yes. uh, what happens next? And you said we cut back to the base to see Blair's computer simulation. I was nearly right. That's uh, just a it's just a little bit before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's clear enough. You know, you, um, it, it is almost immediately cuts away back to the base. There's just yeah. a little bit of chat before we get to that computer simulation. And, of course, your infection tracker at the moment, you think uh, Norris and Bennings are infected. Mm-hmm. And who's not infected? Definitely Clark and Blair. And people who are in the mystery zone are Fuchs, Windows, and Knowles. So how do you feel about those now that you've seen the next section of film? Um, uh, how do you feel about Bennings? Um, so a lot of these answers have changed, actually. I've, I've made some notes on this, uh, and we'll get to those as we go through. But I think course. that we're going to discover quite soon that I believe now that I was wrong about Bennings being infected at this point. Either that or it's a very complicated double bluff. <laughs> yes. All right, then. Now we've spoken about that, and it's time to watch the next section of the film. We're going to be watching minutes 40 to 48 of The Thing. If you're playing along at home, please stop. We can't we can't urge you to not do this with us enough. This idea was ridiculous from the beginning, and it gets patently worse every time we record one of these. 
please just go and watch the film like a normal human being would. Or an imitation. Ah. All right. Uh, Now I will read out my section headers, which summarize like 20 to 30 seconds of action in the film. And we will discuss them. Uh, Peter, if you have anything you want to say, chime in. Otherwise, I'll keep rolling along like a fire call. Mm -hmm. There's a dramatic sting over the hole in the ice. Uh, uh, Nice to have that little bit that we were watching last time rounded out. Like I was saying last time, it's probably the first section where it's just cut in a really weird place. (laughs) We cut back to the base at night. So, um, yeah, it is interesting well I, I guess i got it right that they do cut straight back from here yeah but it is interesting that they they just decide not to explore the ship at all you see you, you've raised a very interesting point and i know we were sort of like teasing at the edges of this last time right mm. how do we know they don't there's a whole section here where three characters are just not on screen at all every time someone's completely out of shot in this film you have to be wondering what is happening to them like because mm. there are definitely thing assimilations that occur off screen in fact the bulk of them i guess so we're left with a point now where you see the three men discovering the thing in the ice and they know the ufo is there and then it just cuts back and just some time has passed what's mm-hmm. happened to them you'd think they would go and look in the ufo don't you but um well, they say they didn't. So we're saying that actually, so maybe a lot of people are saying that this is a, a suspicious part of the film for, for these yeah. three characters. Yeah, I, I, mm. I definitely think rapid time passing where you don't see what's happening in this film should at least be questioned. Yeah, it is. I mean, it could be similar sort of reasoning to before where they don't have a lot of time because it's getting late or whatever. And mm. uh, uh, and so they have to go back before... Um, doing any more exploration um, yeah the storm is still pressing yeah so 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 there's that to think about um but you do raise a good point it does it does put a question mark on these three characters however who are the three characters uh norris palmer and mccready i think norris is on your definitely a thing list norris is on my, on my definitely a thing list i but what, do you, I mean, do you think he would strike here if he was given the opportunity? I mean, um, Norris and McCready are alone because we see them, uh, you mm-hmm. know, approaching the ship while Palmer is off guarding the helicopter or whatever it is exactly he's doing. But he's still kind of looking over, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he, I mean, he's, yeah, that, that's my question is that maybe he just doesn't have the opportunity because it is three of them. So I'm thinking it's probably that. I, I, do think that McCready is not infected mainly for the reason that he works too hard against mm. the things during the rest of the film quite uh, uh, and that just seems like it would be counterproductive like I, I'm pretty sure that he comes up with the blood test method that we see later on and yeah. Why would he even suggest that if he was a thing? So I, I don't think that this is suspicious from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, sure, maybe something could have happened. And it is a bit weird that they didn't go into the ship. Um, John Carpenter notes here in the DVD commentary that, you know, this is the first of their night shots um, on the set filmed at night. 
and they were very difficult to do for a number of reasons lighting temperature getting the cast there so um that's a thing yeah ding (laughs) (laughs) the men argue about the thing Okay, so, sorry, probably tangential. They've got an Asteroids game. That's amazing. I didn't notice that. Yeah, uh, Asteroids, released in 1979, and um, like the machine that they've got on set is a, a real working one, and apparently everyone was playing it like when they weren't filming. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Blair here seems very quiet and thoughtful. Like he yeah. spends a lot of the scene brooding over a picture of the Norwegians digging the monster out of the ice. I think at this point he's put it all together or he's very close to. Yeah. Um, but the thing that, that I am not sure about here is why is Childs quite so skeptical about this voodoo bullshit? <laughs> because. Uh, at this point, they know there's a spaceship, they've seen it on the video, and they've also gone and seen it. You've got to note in the scene that everyone who hasn't specifically flown to see the um, spaceship is a little wary of it. I mean, even Gary is is sceptical, despite the fact that they've brought back some pieces of UFO with them. But yeah, but they had video footage that they all saw of the, yeah. uh, the uh, Norwegians standing around it as well, didn't mm. they? Um, yeah. So they, they've got quite a lot of evidence that this this spaceship is a real thing at this point and but also uh, all of them including Charles, has seen the bad monster um, <laughs> and knows that there's something uh wrong i mean that it, it could be denial but also i don't know i'm if you put me in the same situation i'd probably be able like no this is this is crazy i mean maybe i'd be hesitant but he's like this is all obviously bullshit when he, he he's seen stuff <laughs> like he's, yeah and there is yeah. no there is no other explanation for the stuff that they're seeing right yeah. i mean after i saw that thing burst you couldn't convince me that it was a um like a polar bear or something yeah even if the spaceship is some sort of clever fake or something there's still the matter of the nasty tendril monster yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a very interesting point. Um, I hadn't quite thought about that, but he, what is it? Methinks the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it it's weird. Maybe even slightly suspicious, but who knows? Mm. Mm. Uh, Knowles arrives to complain someone's left their dirty drawers in his kitchen trash can. First of all, like gross. Why did he bring them? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Macready is like, oh, he just he, picks them up why would he pick them up it's yeah um the implication here is the first of many like there'll be another one in a little while that um it rips through your clothes when it's taking you over yeah the dirty drawers get dropped onto a pinball machine and the pinball machine is heat wave from 1964 made by williams (laughs) yes it is absolutely possible to look up every single fact about this movie online (laughs) (laughs) so um as for whose draws we think these are i don't know it's yeah. it, it's hard to say i mean if it's if it's anyone's it, it, i guess i'm going with norris at this point but um <laughs> you think they might be norris's dirty draws be interesting to know about who is who who goes near the kitchen to see who might be plausible for that also this is something that makes me currently suspect Knowles less at this moment, because if here's a thing, 
Why would he do this? Why would he draw attention to this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's two other things that I could probably draw your attention to here. Um, number one is that I said, wait, I, I was... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll allow it, but reluctantly. <laughs> Come on, that was clear. You said, you said, and <laughs> you said there are two other... <laughs> Oh god. Alright, alright. It's a fair cop. Unless you are saying there are two other monsters that you're like to... Don't have to remind me of the rules, it's my game. <laughs> <laughs> uh there are two other elements of the story I could draw your attention to at this point. First of all, uh I'm not sure if we brought it up before, but there is a deleted scene with Fuchs just running around the base. It sort of establishes that he does jogging, even though he's in Antarctica. Um, so he he goes through the kitchen in a number of other locations, so that's that's a thing that may cast some suspicion in his direction. Okay. Um, and also, in the script and the novelization, but not but didn't actually make it into the film, is the fact that the Long Johns are a size large, and not all of the men are large. Some are extra large. Right, okay. So they're... Um, <laughs> If you if we're allowing the original script and the novelization, which I don't know if we are, I don't think so. Uh, it eliminates Childs because he's an extra large. Right. I think we said that those were inadmissible as evidence. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, 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 I agree. I think that's the case. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's something to think about. Anyway, I don't really suspect Fuchs anyway for reasons that we'll get into later. But yeah, interesting. Blair doesn't answer any questions about the thing. So he's he's just sitting there brooding the entire time. I mean, people directly ask him questions and he just looks at them. So why do we think he's being as cagey as he is here? What do we think the tactic is here? Well, I mean, he doesn't know if any of them are... Well, uh, going back to what we saw in the last eight-minute section is Blair is highly suspicious of Clark. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't know if Clark Clark thing could have gotten to anyone else um, in the, you know, almost a day now that they've been just hanging around on the base. Yeah, I just think he doesn't want to tip his hand here. I think he's, you know, playing his cards very close to his chest. Oh, that's two different cards metaphors that you, um, that you used in a very appropriate context. Well done. Thank you. I, uh, I was very pleased. I'm, I'm glad you drew attention to it. So now I sound even smarter. Yeah, again, calling back to the uh, poker game, of course, that they were playing earlier. Um, oh, shit! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> if they were filming this, if they were filming this now, they would that poker scene would be like fifteen times longer, and they'd have a really long discussion about bluffing while they, you know, the camera panned around right behind their heads, looking at all of their eyes one at a time. Yeah, and there'd be like a little thought bubble coming out of. Um, Blair's uh, head. I think point, Clark thinking, is the thing. Thinking about the poker game and thinking about the monster. <laughs> Just as heavy-handed a metaphor as possible. Um, he'd, uh, he'd perhaps draw a picture of the thing playing cards. Yes. <laughs> he'd have a dream about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, we're skewering this, but uh, they're, they are making a new thing movie, um, so who knows what we've got to look forward to. Maybe we can discuss that one eight minutes at a time as well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think he's... Uh, I, I guess I'm just trying to think, okay, what would the downside of uh, tipping his hand at this point be? Because if he's 
worried about this, wouldn't it be a good thing for other people to know what his concerns are and be as suspicious as he is? What if what if all of them are infected? I feel like if all of them are affected, he's kind of fucked anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I think Blair's motivation here is that he just doesn't know who to trust. I mean, he even says this in like yeah. maybe like ten minutes time. It's true because like I, I suppose if you were actually in this situation, you'd be thinking, "Do I tell people? Is there a downside? I don't even know. Um, like maybe yeah. I should just not say anything." Um, I, yeah. I guess you wouldn't necessarily be able to figure out all of the variables of uh, of, of whether it's best to say or not. And going back to you know the forbidden script, deleted scenes, novelization stuff. There's a scene just before this where Blair has put it all together, and he goes to Gary, the base commander, and says, "Look, we can't ever contact anyone ever again until we figure this shit out." And Gary is not on his side gary gary is kind of like something bad has happened here but we need to bring in experts to figure out what's happened which of course is a very bad idea Mm -hmm. so maybe that's pushed blair a little bit towards what his inevitable course of action will be yeah we cut to blair running a computer simulation of the thing assimilation oh i didn't read that aloud before i said it and it's nicely poetic it is yeah (laughs) Uh, at the end, we'll we'll perform a the thing rap. Uh, yeah, um, we won't. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. I knew this happened at some point soon. I just couldn't quite figure out when. I didn't remember the the preceding conversation before it, but I was pretty close with what happens next. Yeah, uh, it it is this point. Uh, we see this lovely. Um, simulation which uh, is somewhat reminiscent of conway's game of life in a way <laughs> on the dvd special features they describe it as asteroids <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit like it's like a, a kind of cross between asteroids and conway's game of life i would say <laughs> um the special effects here are, are done by john wash um, he also worked with John Carpenter on the computer effects for Escape from New York, and he's had a prolific visual effects career, including Star Wars, The Thing, Escape from New York, Blade Runner, 2010, Point Break, Patriot Games, Free Willy, Demolition Man, Ghost in the Machine, Time Cop, Outbreak, Tank Girl, The Relic, and The X-Files. That's a, l- a lot of good things under one man's belt. Hmm. Did you notice anything about this little visual sequence of the uh, the Thing cell infecting other cells? Uh, I, I don't think I do notice, no. Uh, John Carpenter notes um, uh, that they didn't get it quite right. Um, it sort of just keeps eating and never dividing. Like, if it worked the way it appears in the little video, all that would happen is the thing would just be one really big cell. <laughs> I, it okay, keep, yeah, it no, keeps grabbing yeah. other cells and pulling them in, but it never divides into other cells. Um, that was that was what they missed out. But they said it doesn't really matter. It gets it gets the point across. This thing, it doesn't have to be like perfectly accurate. Why did you ding me? Because you said it gets the point across. This, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I am so bad at this game today. Yeah. <laughs> um, huh. Interestingly, um, this is one of the things I like about the prequel. They fixed this little problem. Interestingly, this is one of the elements I like about the prequel. <laughs> I'm 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 cutting that. <laughs> you can't, can't have two dings. <laughs> yeah, this is something I. Something is okay, I think. 
All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is an aspect of the prequel <laughs> I find good. <laughs> I'm frightened now. I'm so I'm so scared. Um in the prequel rather than using computer simulations for it because I think that they realized that if they did this sort of simulation with you know 2010s computer technology trying to look like 1980s computer technology everyone will find it a little bit ridiculous they just shy away from the idea right. and instead she observes the process directly through a microscope so right. it is cgi but like it's modern cgi that they don't have to dress down to look like 80s stuff i, I thought that was um, a really nice touch yeah um yeah they see they see thing cells attacking you know attacking dog cells and then dividing into more thing cells so, I mean, when, at the beginning of this sequence, I um, thought, okay, fair enough. Uh, he's used some sort of advanced software to uh, to write a little simulation of uh, a cell taking over another cell. Sh- sure, that could maybe happen. He's, we've whipped something up in the old uh, computer science lab. <laughs> in, um, in basic. Yeah. Um, it's just that as this proceeds um it, the calculations that it is doing seem less and less plausible <laughs> In, increasingly maddening yeah. um we're going to talk about in the section let's not talk about the thing at some point we're going to talk about the things uh which is a pseudo sequel written by peter watts and um it's not official in any way. It's a short story. Uh, and a lot of people really enjoy it because it's the thing as told from the point of view of the thing. And from its point of view at this point, it, it, it is programming the computer to try and get Blair to reach the conclusions that it wants, <laughs> huh. which I think was, I think was a nice touch because obviously, you know, this little bit is a bit hokey. I mean, I, I love the movie to bits, but this bit is exposition for that last little bit of the audience who haven't quite crossed the finish line on what the thing is and what it's doing. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't quite have bullet points, but it's pretty damn close. The probability that one or more team members is infected, 75%. All right, so let's let's dive into this, shall we? Yeah, how, what is he putting in to reach that conclusion? This is I really want to see his the, work. This is definitely going to be the longest episode yet, because, okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how would you figure this out? I guess you'd have to figure out, okay, um, you'd have to put in variables like, okay, so how many people are in the base yeah and how many rooms is it likely that the dog has been into what is the chance that a dog has been in the same room as a human uh, for <laughs> a, a decent enough length of time for the assimilation to occur mm. um there's like stuff you could do but all of the numbers would be such rough estimates yeah yeah there's <laughs> Um, I mean, unless he's typed 75% into Notepad, I don't see how he reached this conclusion. Yeah. I, I mean, like, but but you've got factors as well. Like, not everyone was around the base at the same Like, people left and came back. And um, he doesn't know how long the infection process takes. I mean, is it instantaneous or does it take like an hour? You know? Um, yeah, he hasn't really seen that. So there's, there's so much 
it's it's like the Drake equation, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I I really I really want to see the Drake thing equation. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, you've got all of these variables which can, in theory, be used to calculate the possibility uh, of aliens, which is what the Drake mm. equation is. Um, but almost all of the variables are just complete unknowns so yeah. <laughs> is this is this a corollary to the drake equation the um the chance that alien life exists and also the chance that it will assimilate you within 24 hours of you meeting it yeah oh <laughs> uh, yeah oh, i really legitimately wish we got some more of his working because it's mm-hmm. um i mean it's bollocks isn't it? <laughs> there's no yeah. way there's like, there's no way you could figure this out <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I guess if he has actually been able to do enough study of the cells mm. to understand how long it would take a cell to assimilate another one and, and used a computer to simulate that, he could maybe figure out how long it would take for the thing to take over a body. So maybe he's may, give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's got yeah. that much. Yeah. Quite. But everything else, who knows? I mean, plus it is interesting that we saw a single thing cell taking over other cells because that does suggest that one cell of the thing is enough to start the transformation process in you. Your body doesn't have an immune system that will fight thingification. Mm. So once you get one cell in you, that's it. Eventually, you're going to be all thing. It's just going to take a long-ass time. Yeah, because on screen we see... um like thing attacks happening very rapidly um mm. at the risk of again drawing on tertiary sources like yeah. the um the novelization and the comics wow they are they are contentious oh, oh we should talk about the comics at some point yeah. <laughs> um but yes it does seem to suggest that one cell is enough to take you over but because there are so many cells in you yeah if you get one in you it's gonna take what like a year you know um i mean well actually it's exponential oh mm. god this this episode is so it's gonna be so much maths isn't it? yeah it's a <laughs> I, yeah. I believe like it's it's that whole grain grains of rice yeah, on, yeah. on a chessboard chess right? thing right so it would actually happen quicker than you think maybe but yeah um, yeah and all, all i know is that human beings do not deal with exponential maths and that's happy living in my ignorance there but yeah um the point of it, like attacking you, violating you, pumping so much of itself into you so quickly, is to like overwhelm you, right? So yeah. you know you you don't have any chance. Your body is converted as quickly as possible. Yeah. And who's to say that that in the Thingiverse, you know, in the rest of the universe, every form of life might be like that. You know, it might fight back, can resist conversion. So yeah. maybe it's just using what it knows of just like. I've got to overwhelm them as quickly as possible, even though it, it doesn't really know that we don't have any natural defenses against it. Mm. Hashtag coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, um, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it does kind of open up this whole interesting world of possibility where, well, is anyone who has touched any thing, thing, um, <laughs> Uh, now basically infected, but undergoing a process of much more gradual um, assimilation that will accelerate at some point. Yeah, uh, in one of the comics, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, someone um, is thingified by sexual contact, and uh, they start having weird nightmares because 
of the slow conversion uh, that obviously is like picking up speed because of you know exponential yeah. growth. I'm thinking, is this why? Because I know that uh, Blair later goes off on his own, yeah, um, and shuts himself away. And I wonder if if the calculation here is that he's doing this as much to protect himself from the others as he is to protect the others from him, because he's worried that he could already be slowly getting infected by this oh, thing. Absolutely. He, wa- he was elbow deep in that thing, as we saw last yeah. session. Um, there's also something that we didn't, neither of us mentioned. I, I mean, I've seen it before. Uh, um uh, he's gesturing at the thing body during the autopsy with a, a rubber-topped pencil, and he touches the rubber to the thing, and then he touches the rubber to his mouth. Ooh, <laughs> he eats a bit of thing. Yeah, he, he, eats, he eats just a teeny thing chunk. And <laughs> That's a no-no in yeah. the medical world. <laughs> this is why you've got to wear your mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, uh, but it's unclear whether that was deliberate direction or whether it was just an accident that happened. Yeah. But um, people have noticed it in the past. Still, I suppose we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with Blair here. Absolutely. The next fact that the computer spits at us, the time to take over the whole world from first exposure, 27,000 hours. 27,000 hours is just slightly over three years. Okay. Do you agree with that figure? Do you think three years is is right? Again, this is another one of those Drake equation math steals, right? I mean, I haven't given it a ton of thought, I have to say, but um, it kind of sounds all right to me. Um, it, it, it like if you assume that initially there would be quite a rapid period of expansion. And then people would start getting wise to it. I mean, what what Blair has programmed here is the um, it is a very basic version of the game Plague Inc. Right or Pandemic. Right. <laughs> yeah. If uh, if Madagascar closes its ports, the thing is fucked. Right? Isn't that the deal? Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, I I feel like it could probably conceal itself long enough to become a real problem. Yeah. Um, uh, r- remember that it's 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 sort of de facto attack method is to hide and wait. Yeah. So I think there'd initially be a period of really rapid expansion where uh, it would uh, just slip under the radar for a long time uh, uh and but at some point not long after it it gets in it's going to make a mistake and then that news is eventually going to get out mm. basically at some point someone is going to see the thing vent um <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and at that point people are going to start locking down uh but it's going to be it's difficult to detect so mistakes are going to be made with the locking down as well mm. um and uh so then it's just going it's probably going to slow down but there's probably just going to be cracks in the ability to uh, shut this thing down that would make it so that it eventually continues spreading uh, uh spreading outwards maybe it could manage a total takeover in about 3 years perhaps mm. but as for how um Blair programmed in this conclusion again. (laughs) Who knows? 
in the German and Spanish dubs of the film, uh, this image is mistranslated as 27 hours because of the comma. Oops. Yes, yes, <laughs> of course. They uh, they use a uh, comma to be a decimal point. So, it's, so, yeah. so um, uh, yeah, I probably can't do it in, in under a day. That would be wow. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're saying, yeah, it's uh, saying it's not only around um, twenty-seven hours; it's exactly twenty-seven point zero 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 hours. Twenty-seven hours to the second. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, that's just a silly fact, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> we see Blair draw a revolver from his desk. Uh foreshadowing some of his later issues that we will get into later. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his gun is a Colt Detective Special. I did notice that there was, over this whole segment, actually, um, there's kind of a lot of orchestral music still going yeah. on. Um, uh, it, it actually sounds like it's similar, if not the same music, to what what is playing when they're exploring the base. The Norwegian um, camp. Yeah, so I think yeah. this maybe uh, blows a hole in the whole. The I was I was is, wondering I was wondering when we get to your theory. The thing is here. The thing is not here with the orchestral <laughs> music theory. Uh, I don't think that's right anymore. I think there's just more orchestral music in this film than I remembered there being. <laughs> we cut to Macready drinking and thoughtfully looking at the torn long johns. So we're we supposed to be thinking that now Macready is also putting it together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bennings and Windows are moving the thing bodies into the storeroom. So, um, uh, unlike a lot of these interior shots, this was actually filmed on location. Um, so, out of the window, there is real snow on the glacier in Stewart, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, much of the interior stuff was filmed in a set in Los Angeles at Universal Studios. But to keep up the breath and everything, they had to chill the set down to around 4 degrees Celsius when it was almost 40 outside. And the cast kept getting sick from going between the hot and the cold all the time. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun. And often they would, you know, because it would take so long to get in and out of like the heavy parkas and stuff, they'd just wear them like when they left the set to go to the cafeteria. (laughs) Yeah, that that, that sounds really unpleasant, actually. I I actually... I feel really bad whenever I'm going from hot to cold and back again. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Fuchs insists that Mac talk with him outside in private. Is that a good idea? <laughs> um, I don't think it's a good idea, but it does make me suspect Fuchs less considering what happens after that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they actually play with this in the in the prequel a bit where um the lead character played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead um Kate she's uh, another character is like oh uh, i found some evidence of perhaps the thing come with me alone to this room and we'll look at it together uh, which which doesn't end well no but but here like you say i i think fuchs is is perhaps is being naive more than anything else yeah, so uh, I mean, not everyone is quite has, has quite put it all together yet. Anyway, um, and um, I think if he was the thing in this situation, he'd just take McCready outside and 
probably just immediately attack at that point. Yeah, because, exactly. Uh, uh, rather than go into a lengthy explanation of, um, <laughs> this of is players. how you can catch me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't really uh, suspect Fuchs at this point for that reason. Uh, they go to talk in the Thiokol, which is one of the snow vehicles, a tracked vehicle designed to run along the top of the snow. You don't really see it doing anything in this film really much, but uh, in the prequel they have one and they go exploring it. Mm-hmm. When Windows and Bennings have their back to the monster, it moves slightly. Oh, this scene is so creepy. I love it. It's a very effective shot, isn't it? Because uh, mm. the thing I like about it... Um, yes, well done. I- <laughs> <laughs> Finally, one all. Uh, what I like about it is, is that it's not a big movement. It's a it, it's a movement that initially you can almost think like, did I just make myself think that moved? Mm. Is that the uh, blanket it, settling? No. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I see that bit, I'm I think to myself, did did it really move? Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it did move. Yeah. It it did yeah. move. I mean, it's accompanied by the score getting a little spicier. So I don't oh, think yeah. definitely. It's- yeah, but it's it's just subtle enough to make mm. you you doubt yourself for a second, uh, which I um I I really like about it. It's a very effective shot. Another uh, aspect of it that I think is really effective uh, is that when it moves, I think it's out of focus as well, so it's focused on the characters. In, yeah, yeah. In, in, in the background, so it's it, it's not very often I think that a film draws your attention to something that is in the foreground, but out of focus it's a very mm. interesting choice yeah i like i like that shot a lot mm. um the thing that they've got under the tarpaulin there is the split face thing um the both of those are legitimate <laughs> i'm not having this the capital t thing that's under the blanket is mm. the split face thing which is all the oh, hyphens oh no no sorry okay right um i I apologize. You know, you're, you're you're totally right. Those were those were those were legitimate. I thought you were talking about the mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> uh, you were talking about this the game split is so face. Dis- this game is so distracting. <laughs> you were talking about the split face capital T thing. Yes, he is the body that they retrieved from the Norwegian Tula station. Uh, And it has been dead and burned for hours, possibly days, more likely days at this point. And Mm. it is still alive. Yeah. So we were talking about about this a little bit in the last uh, uh, podcast uh, about whether we assume that when something is burned up this way, uh, it is dead. At the time, I said uh, I thought it was, but I had forgotten about this bit of the film. And I am now revising that assessment. (laughs) I mean... it's sort of clear from this point on that you'd have to just completely annihilate it, right? Even even a cell left is going to be enough to for it to start regenerating. Like, I assume it's just sort of reusing the mass that's left as fuel to yeah create more thing cells. It's a real problem. I mean, uh, sure, it could have been pretty dormant up until this point, mm. but yeah, it's a uh, it's a worry. I mean, because they've definitely they've definitely had it like lying around in the lab and looking at it, and it's been yeah. a long time since it's done anything. So, yeah. has it been aware all this time and biding its time up until it got to poor Bennings, or mm. is was he just unlucky with his timing? We'll never know. Very hard to say. Bennings sends Windows to get the keys from Gary. This begins the saga of the keys. Please 
keep an eye out for people talking about the keys, where the keys are. There's this whole little thing about the keys from now on for the rest of the film. I didn't. I I haven't even clocked any of this. So you're going to have to talk me through this whole keys thing as it happens. All right. Well, we're about to get some more keys stuff. I'm very excited for it. Right. Okay. The end. Actually, maybe. I'm. I'm. I'm sorry. What keys? <laughs> keys to what? First is um, my first question. Well, it, it does get explained outright a little bit later on, but Gary has a set of keys for the base, and he has he has keys for secured areas that other members of the team can't generally get into, like um, right. some of the medical supplies are locked away, and only Gary has a key, and Doc Copper have to, has to get Gary to unlock them when he needs those supplies, that sort of thing. Right. Bennings here is sending windows to go and get the key so they can lock the st- lock the things in the storeroom right uh, securely in there and gary would be the only person who can you know get in and out right bennings fixes the window unaware of dripping tendrils behind him oh this is a lovely gross shot as well uh the unsuspecting bennings is about to get a handful of tendrils right up the bum that's what i've written <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good for Bennings, but also, yeah, this confirms that, that I was not uh, correct in my assumption that Bennings was infected at this point. Yeah, it's it's pretty obvious he's about to be thingified. Mm-hmm. This whole little sequence of Bennings and the bodies, that's a really bad, bad name, was an on-location rewrite. Bennings' original death in the script was, uh, I think we talked about it a little bit last time, at a certain point through the film, all the dogs escape, and they realize that the the thing is making a break for it with the dogs as food across the ice to try and reach McMurdo Station. Uh, so they chase them down with the snowmobiles, and mm. there's a big fight, and Bennings is pulled under the ice and killed by a thing. And they didn't film this because it would have been very expensive to film. So his death then became that he was found murdered with a screwdriver in the kennels, the whole thing was set up to throw a bit more suspicion onto Clark. That's good. Uh, <laughs> but they didn't like it because they thought, it, like John Carpenter thought it was a bit slasher movie-esque, just finding a body stabbed with a screwdriver. Hmm. Um, so it got rewritten and his death got moved up here to showcase the thing a little bit more because otherwise it had been out of the film for quite some time before its next appearance. So yeah, I think, I think, it's, I think it was a very good decision. I think it's a good call, yeah. I, I wonder how common these kind of uh, on-location like rewrites are. It's usually for a, a, a some sort of reason that happens during during the the shoot uh, mm. that that kind of forces their hand. I remember that famous one from Indiana Jones, uh, the the first <laughs> film, where instead of having the big sword fight, he just shoots the swordsman. <laughs> Uh, because he's so ill with dysentery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Harry, uh, all Harrison Ford could do is shoot him and then go and lie down. Yeah, even like when he turns around, he just looks rotten. After. <laughs> 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 looks like even that was a lot of effort. <laughs> um, um, it's quite fun to watch that scene, knowing that. Um, there uh, are there are a lot of um, rewrites in the thing. I mean, I, I'll bring them up as we hit them. But yeah, I mean, it is an interesting because some films are just ruined by this. I mean, I only have very limited experience as a director where I, I tried to direct something and it all went wrong. <laughs> when you're filming something, it seems that it's you've really got to have like an excellent overview of the whole thing because mm-hmm. you're filming things 
because you're filming shots out of order and um you know you might not have some cast on some days and some cast on other days and like there are effects in shirt shots and everything so yeah this is exactly what i was thinking that it must really be a logistics nightmare to change how you're going to do something in in the middle of filming yeah absolutely i mean and there have been films which are filmed where they've realized when they get to the editing suite that they've forgotten to film something because of the confusion Mm. there's a film that i watched quite recently the snowman and it's like a norwegian crime thriller and it wasn't very well received because the plot is very complicated and it turned out that literally that when they were filming like because of constant rewrites they missed a whole chunk of the movie out (laughs) and they didn't have the money to go back and reshoot it like an actual whole section of the plot so they had to kind of infer it with voiceovers and things (laughs) just like that bit in dark place when they're all standing they're all standing talking to a pot plant for 20 minutes because they're doing pickup dialogue yeah (laughs) oh dear yeah i mean it's something about filmmaking i'm very interested in like you know i think directors really must have minds like steel traps to keep on this especially now like you know a lot of movies will just be some people in green suits talking to green things and then (laughs) all of that's going to be done in a computer at some point three months down the line at some point this will all somehow be coherent (laughs) like (laughs) outside Fuchs and McCready talk in the cab of the snowplow. Um, again, on the director's commentary, they're yeah. talking here about how it's very difficult to film this stuff because it's so cold outside. They have mm. to leave all the camera lenses outside. They can never bring them in because they, if they bring them inside, they fog up and they're very difficult to clean. Yeah. So they have to leave them outside in a special box in the snow. Fuchs is worried. Blair has locked himself away and won't answer his door. So here's what you were getting at earlier yeah. with Blair's uh, Blair's put it together and he's he doesn't want to be around anyone else at this point. Fuchs reads some of his greatest hits out of the lab book and there's some really great quotes in there. The chameleon strikes in the dark. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> uh, that would that would have been a good tagline. Is that true? <laughs> the chameleon strikes in the dark question mark. I think they eat flies. <laughs> yeah. I think the chameleon strikes when it's hungry, but that's when, not as... when there's a fly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, of course, uh, they're not dead yet, which, yeah, very true. We've seen mm-hmm. that one. Elsewhere, Windows returns with the keys to see Bennings wrapped in thrashing tendrils. Uh, here's the next part of your keys saga if you're playing along at home. He drops the keys and he runs away. Ah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this again makes me think that uh, Windows is safe at this point. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't just look on and go, "Ah, yes, excellent, I, just what I wanted." Yes, that tracks. Um, <laughs> let's. Um, should I stay and watch, or <laughs> no? It's it's a bit rude in our culture. Um, <laughs> Uh, um, poor Peter Maloney who played um, Bennings had to be sitting in that chair for like four hours almost naked slathered in jelly looks kind of gross and also it's very cold because of course they're filming on location and they've broken a window Mm. (laughs) speaking of very cold so at this point um, Windows runs out towards uh, the, uh, the what are we calling it the tractor 
Um, the fire call, please. The, the fire, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, is it is it ridiculous to point out that it's not a thigh call? They're in there in a snow cat. They do have a thigh call. Just... <laughs> so he <laughs> runs out towards the snow cat, and uh, uh, he is not wearing much, considering. Uh, what does McCready say? It's minus. F- it's forty below outside. Yeah, and he does not have a jacket on in that scene. I think. Hang on, I'm going to go look up what minus forty Fahrenheit is. Oh, that's minus forty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit! I need to leave that in now. It's that's, it's yeah. I I think I realise that now. It's one of the ones where it's the same. I think that that's the point where it crosses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's really cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I uh, the coldest I've ever been is when I was in uh, Wisconsin in winter, and I um we were parked on the other side of a highway from a pizza hut. Right. Yeah. And we were going to go outside and cross the parking lot, cross the road, go to Pizza Hut, get pizza. And I was like, well, I probably don't need to put a T-shirt. I've got a T-shirt. I was naked. Jesus. I like. I probably don't need to. I've got a hoodie on, a hoodie and a T-shirt on. I probably don't need my coat. I can just, we can just cross quickly and get back. Yeah. And it, and it was minus 20 Celsius outside. Yeah. And I got 20 feet from the front door and I started to die. Mm. Like I was like, I was like. I have to go back. If I if I keep going, I will be in the middle of that road and I will drop down dead. <laughs> like, I will not be able to function. Like he he runs quite far. Like considering that it's twi- at least twice as cold as that. Um, yeah, so I, I, I've never been in, in temperatures as cold as that. I've been I've been skiing in and uh, I've been on top of mountains where it's been pretty cold. Um, probably uh, a little bit below freezing. I have, uh, but I've been wrapped up warm in those situations, and I imagine that it's almost impossible to function in minus forty, not wearing a jacket. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean at minus at minus twenty in just in just a, a like a, a light hoodie and a t shirt, I couldn't talk because I was f- 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 freezing. Yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> he he just whips out and he's like, "It's Bennings." And then they yeah. back inside. <laughs> I I I was wondering previously about why he just says it's Bennings and nothing more, no more clarification than that. But also, he's really fucking cold. That's, yeah, that's probably all he can get out. <laughs> Bennings, and then he passes out. Bennings runs out into the snow, chased by the other men. Um, McCready lights a flare here to, you know, get a better look at it. And in the director's commentary, they are always talking about these flares. Um, they are just a sort of stick of phosphorus that burns. You see that stuff that's dripping out of them? That's that's white hot phosphorus, and it will oh. burn you. <laughs> Nasty. Yeah, these are real, real, really hot flares they're using, and they were like, not not a day went by when someone didn't get burned by the flares. Also, the fumes are like choking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty certain breathing phosphorus is like a bad idea. <laughs> probably, probably another thing that they got away with in this movie that got banned shortly afterwards <laughs> on health and safety grounds. Uh, the men surround the Bennings thing, which holds up its mutated arms, and um, and that's where we leave this eight-minute section. Again, this is just another another awkward cut. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I mean, just a, a bit of housekeeping here, I guess, uh, at the end of this segment. So he's, we know he wasn't wearing all of his clothes 
just before Windows runs out. So yeah, that, sorry that that's an interesting point that I I, uh, I meant to make a note on, but apparently forgot. Um, is that during the horror scene bit where Windows turns back on, he's like, "Oh, I've got the keys, Bennings." Um, he, you know, there's squishy mulchy noises in the background and he looks down and there's blood on the floor and there are bloody clothes on the floor yeah so we we know or we're pretty sure that clothes assimilation isn't a thing Mm. um um yeah that's fair but Um, it, it raises an interesting point right are the clothes on a thing copy clothes or part of it is it does it take you over and then have to go and find a shirt is that the thing or is it imitating a shirt as well uh i don't think it's imitating a shirt because otherwise why wouldn't it just absorb the shirt and Mm. then that will be it right Mm. um so i I think the implication is definitely that it doesn't assimilate clothes it has to find other clothes to wear so presumably after windows uh, runs out uh, the the thing then throws a jacket and some trousers on very quickly <laughs> oh yeah i think he's wearing trousers i think it's just his shirt that he's lost um yeah so throws a jacket on and then just runs outside while still kind of mid assimilation yeah I was saying, um, for those of you who play, um, playing Among Us, uh, this is like getting caught going into a vent or killing someone in front of three other people. Yeah. Bennings is sus. <laughs> just like, uh, I'll just vote for myself, I guess, in, in this round. I've got, I've got nothing here, guys. I can't, yep. I can't tell you it's not me. It's definitely me. I'm the imposter. That's fair enough. Um yeah, like I say, we, we do end awkwardly here with Bennings. He turns to the camera and he's about to emit his... Well, I can't. we can't talk about it. You don't know what he's about to emit. Could be candy. Well, I think you, you hear the very beginning of it at the uh, when it cuts, cuts out. So you hear mm. some sort of noise starting to emerge, he's, but I think it's... Just starting to make a noise, but... Uh, it's going to reach its full splendor in, in the next segment. Absolutely. Speaking of which... So, um, now that we've reached the end of that segment, they're not parts or, what was I saying before? Sections. Section, yeah. yeah. Uh, my brain doesn't work well anymore. I've been locked inside for seven months. Um, what happens next, Pete? You know, I think this might be an easy one. Do you think they're going to all go and give Bennings a big open mouth kiss? Is that what you think is going to happen next? <laughs> yeah, they're all like, I want some of this thing action. And, <laughs> yeah, it's and they cool. all live happily ever after. <laughs> it's, it's, it, Bennings holds up his hands. They all receive weird high fives. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I've got a pretty clear memory of what happens immediately next. Uh, so uh, Bennings is going to continue uh, emitting that shriek that uh, that he does um and then they are going to see i was gonna say that he get he definitely gets on fire i think it's just the flamethrower um i i know that he burns in the snow uh, that he's on fire in the snow uh, and i think it's to do with the flamethrower but now now as i'm saying that i'm thinking where does the flamethrower come from did they just come out with it um, hmm. I'm not sure. So, oh, there might be something about gasoline. Maybe I feel like there might be something to do with gasoline getting chucked over him. 
All right, so I've got I've got them here as your final answer. Uh, Bennings is doing a shriek, and they set him on fire, possibly with the flamethrower, possibly with gasoline, or both. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a, a gasoline thing happening. Now I must ask you who you think is infected at this point. <laughs> right. So I've I've taken some names off of my maybe list, but not really added any at this point. So oh, I was going to say you haven't added anyone to your infected list. Oh, are you are you umming and ahhing over Bennings? Well, I think Bennings is clear, but <laughs> I, I mean, he's basically exposed at this point. Yeah, so at this point, Bennings is definitely infected. He wasn't before. Oh God, no, Norris and Bennings, those guys. So Norris, I still think is infected. Um, I mean, we've got to say at least someone else is infected. Otherwise, the film is just about to be over. Um, <laughs> uh. But given that conversation earlier, I'm now not convinced that, say, uh, Blair isn't infected, but mm. uh, not to the point that he is aware of it yet. So I guess there's a question here is, do we only count infected as is fully the thing and doesn't uh, um- a- and is hiding? I mean, I, I would, I would say yes. Uh, yeah. It's the point where they're no longer a human being; they're they're an yeah. imposter acting with their own motivations. Because otherwise, yeah. you know, um, they could, you know, one of the things could have sneezed on them as they all walked by. Right. <laughs> okay, then. So from that perspective, I think Blair is still safe at the moment, but could have been um, exposed to the thing. Right, uh, and I think that Fuchs is not infected at the moment. I'm going to move that to a firm no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Windows is uh, not yeah, infected. Yeah, he, de- he, def- he definitely well. did some behaviour there. Yeah, and finally, I think Knowles is definitely in the firm no column at the moment as well. Right. Because of the um, earlier coming to complain about the dirty drawers. The drawers. Uh, that just leaves Clark then on your list previously. Where do you think he is right now? He was uh, in the yeah. he was in the not infected list. Is he still there? I don't feel like I've been given any particular reason to be suspicious of Clark. He's he's not really he's not really done much in this segment, has he? He's uh, he was there at the start and now. Yeah, I don't think he's really moved. I mean, he he is there during the group scene where they're all talking, uh, mm-hmm. but he's just he's just sitting quietly in the background reading a magazine. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that just seems to be his character, though. <laughs> like, mm, yeah. it, 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 he's not like one of the talkative ones. He doesn't no, say much. No, 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 very much so. No. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, in that case, we'll leave him on the not infected list for now. How do you feel about the film so far? I mean, we've seen forty-eight minutes of it. That's almost an hour. <laughs> sort of <laughs> yeah actually this is uh, I would say this has been my favourite segment of the film so far it, there's a lot going on, it's given me a lot to think about um, there's a lot and, of, we certainly have done some talking it's an hour and a half so far before edits yeah um, there's a lot more variables in the who's infected, who's not infected what does being infected actually mean how does it, uh, how does it exactly work than, I, than is maybe on the surface level Mm. Uh, uh, of the film and digging into this more has made me kind of uh, maybe appreciate more the um the kinds of tension that the film is has been building uh yeah i've been enjoying it uh excellent excellent that's very good to hear 
Well, then that just leaves us with the duty of saying goodbye. What a weird way to say that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it. I like it. The duty of saying the du- goodbye. The duty of saying goodbye sounds like a Decemberist song. It sounds like like the name of um, a politician's autobiography or something. <laughs> like- <laughs> Uh, well, um, where can you be found on the internet, Peter? I can be found at Kestrel Pie on Twitter and various other things. Uh, that's Kestrel like the bird and Pie like the irrational number. Where can I be found on the internet, Peter? Uh, I'm doing both. Am I okay? You can be found <laughs> at Kieran J. Walsh on Twitter. That is your name. That is my name. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, this has been a long one, but but well worth it. I, I I had a very good time. Thank you, Peter, for again enduring my bullshit. And <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. Uh, thank you to everyone who is listening at home. Farewell to you and good tidings on this night. <laughs> good goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>